Hey guys, this is And The Writer Is, and I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with the great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special events, or buy some of our merchandise, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy this podcast, please rate us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. We really appreciate that effort. That sounds like Don't Be Cruel by Bobby Brown. Don't be... That's dope. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Today's guest is coming off of a number one smash. The song is Attention. He didn't just write it. He didn't just produce it. He's also the artist. His name is Charlie Puth. The guy has perfect pitch, and this episode will show how that actually works, and it's fascinating, and it's awesome. The guy was featured on one of the biggest songs in the last 20 years. The song is called See You Again. It was Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth. It was 10 weeks at number one and is about to go diamond. Not only that, the guy's recently toured with Shawn Mendes, his first album went platinum as a whole, and now he's about to finish and release album number two. So without further ado, here is And The Writer Is featuring Charlie Pooh. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. This week's writer, artist, producer has taken his pitch-perfect talent and piano proficiency to the top of the music industry. At 25 years old, this guy has already crafted multiple number one songs and has produced both icons of hip-hop and pop. One of those songs, by the way, stayed at the top 10 of the Billboard Top 100 for 12 weeks. And this week, he's got our attention with the number one song at Top 40 for the third week. From Rumson, New Jersey, this guy keeps his head on straight by surrounding himself with family. And the writer is the artist who imitates me the best, Charlie Puth. Hi, Ross. Hi, Charlie. I'm not, that, that, that's not me being like derogatory towards your voice. I love your voice because nobody has your voice. It's, no, here's the thing. It's like, um, I didn't know I, that there was any weirdness to 
my voice at all until I started hearing people imitate it, and I'd recognize the imitation as being like, "Wow, that kind of sounds like me." I, 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 I'm Ross. I, I've written a couple of hits for Ariana and you know Selena, and I love my dog, and uh, yeah, I love my wife, and uh, you know, I'm just trying to you know trying to win out here, you know, Ross. It's fucking spot on. <laughs> I think I st- I do that voice. Uh, to you every time that I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know if you get sick of it. No, I I I'll get sick of it when it starts to suck and be <laughs> when it starts to be bad. Yeah. Um. Okay. So uh, you were born once. I was born once in 1991. Okay. During the days of TLC. Yeah. And ain't too proud to beg and and uh and like like the best ten years of like R and B. Um. But I wasn't aware of it until like 1994. Wait, so you were three when you started being aware of... Of, like, R&B. What was the first song that you would sing around the house? Um, well, this is the compl- This is not R&B, but it was um, Neil Sedaka, Breaking Up Is Hard To Do. Okay. And what's interesting is that I sang it in B major when I was a little kid because I saw my mom used to tape everything and used to uh, uh, just make a bunch of home videos. And I saw one um, last year... And it was me when I was like three or four years old, and I was singing in B major, like not deviating from the key at all. So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. So you knew that you were, is it, how old are you when someone said, hey, your kid is perfect pitch? Um, 11 or 12. I went to, um, I, I grew up playing in church and, you know, playing hymns like, this is going to sound weird on the roads, but Holy, holy, holy Lord God of power, God of might The mm, Is that all, all these like plagal cadences Amen I, I, I heard that every week and I went to Catholic school So it was just like <clears throat> hammered into my head um, They would literally take me out of class to uh, uh, play at like funerals and, and mid daytime masses. It was so illegal, actually. Um, but <laughs> they, yeah, they, for sure they weren't paying you. They're just no, like, hey, the, kid. No, it's for the good of Jesus. Yeah, um, right. But I attribute that um, the constant hammering of Catholic and um, uh, apostolic music to my perfect pitch. So when I was twelve, um, it was Ash Wednesday, which is. You know, a thing where they put ashes on your head. Yeah. To, I don't really know what it's about, but um, the organist didn't show up. I think he was drinking too much or something. And uh, they were like, we'll just play a tape for the whole mass. I'm like, no, this is, it's it's springtime. This is, this is supposed to be like, like a fun, thi- like, like a fun thing. So I'm going to go up there and uh, play the entire mass from memory. And I thought it was just like, you know, memorizing vocabulary words because I, I had just taken a vocabulary test and I memorized all the vocabulary words, and I got a 100, so I thought, if I memorize all the songs, I'll be able to play them, just like memorizing words. So I went to the organ and played the entire Mass, and I remember the priest and everybody like in the church was like, like with the, 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 the look on their face, and I was like, what's wrong? And then my mom was like, come with me! And then we got like my ears tested or something, and I just found out that like I had like a super rare, there's perfect pitch, and then there's like another level of perfect pitch where you can... Uh, d- just like see people, most people like Pharrell sees, t- told me that he sees colors. I don't yeah, see colors. Synesthesia. I, it's just I, I I hear a note and I just it's just in my mind. I just I just know it. It's. But it, what, one of the things that was interesting was even um, 
you know, five minutes ago when we were playing piano in the other room, right. and by we, not we, you were playing piano, you were like, oh, and this song that we did in Thanksgiving when I was in junior high. Yeah. The, we are grateful. Lower, lower than junior high, uh, like fourth grade. For our blessings, for our blessings, great and small. And this was the chorus. It went to a B major. The, why isn't there a pop song that goes to that? Like, it's so... It's so incredible. Um, when did you learn how to play piano? Because there's something, you know, you, you can have perfect pitch, but you actually have to develop skill still. Like, even right. if you hear it, there's something different between hearing music well and being able to play it well. I mean, I just, my, my mom taught me piano when I was four years old, and I never liked to read. Was she a the professional mu- musician? She she was a, just a piano teacher. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, she always uh, would play like Beatles and classical music, and I always thought it was interesting that she would play, practice her classical music, and uh, uh, and then play like pop records, like Phil Collins records, right after. And I, I think at an early age, I noticed the similarities between her playing, um, you know, and then hearing her. I can't remember the name of that. Uh, yeah. Groovy Kind of Love by Phil yeah, Collins. Sure. He just, you're allowed to take that melody completely. And that's sure. the first time when I heard that correlation, I was like, wow, you can make uh, pop music from classical music. But there's that I, era where Billy Joel did the same thing with, you know, the Beethoven. Yeah. Uh, when he did, what's the Rose one? The um, uh, I don't remember that one, but Billy Joel music is also, it, it, he mimics classical music. Uh, uh, motifs in a way, like like in Lullaby. The, the G in there makes it like dissonant. It's, you can hear an orchestra playing that easily. So your mom teaches you piano, and you obviously probably picked it up pretty quick if yeah. by fourth grade you're playing some stuff. Right. Um, I wasn't a good reader, though. I, I always loved to hear the records and just pretend that I was reading and then the teachers would be like you're not reading the music you're cl- are you I- dyslexic I think I might be I mean I I am and I form. think that I ended up helping out like same thing I went I had a music degree and when all the classes that we took where I had to read music mm-hmm. was like man if you play it for me I'll be able to write it out mm-hmm. and I can tell you where we're at right. but if by reading it and not that I can't I could read and and um, slowly, but yeah. like in the same way, I don't read English very well either. Right. It was like, how I did you do in solfege well. class? Did you? I t- did great in that. I mean, my R all skills classes were like ah, I did very you know. poorly in in uh, solfege class because how is that possible? How can you be good, perfect pitch with this? It, is the dorkiest conversation? Everyone here is probably like like trying to figure out like no. Okay, so solfege like do re mi fa sol la ti do do re mi fa sol la ti do. You apply those you know, words to these notes so people who don't have perfect pitch, which is right. a totally normal and fine thing, you uh, to uh, sing uh, uh, what's written on the page without a reference note, you apply it to those uh, uh, that, right. that terminology. But and I in could, Nashville, they do it by numbers. In Nashville, I, I'll you never know. understand that. So, Na- Nashville, it's shocking because, you know, you'll go to a, a writing session and, or a, a, a demo recording session and these guys have never heard it before. And yeah. And they'll listen to it and just off of one listen, you know. It's it's so know, mathematical. They speak, there. they speak in numbers. It's but yeah, solfege is is 
but I would right. fail every test um, in Solfege class, and I would go up to the teacher and be like, I can literally sing you everything that's written on this page right now in laws. La, 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 la. And I can transpose it in my head. Now, I'm not trying to flex on you, but I can transpose it in my head and just sing it in a different key for you right now while I'm, uh, I'm reading it. Why do I have to apply Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol? And she was like, you just have to do it. So I ended up going down a level in uh, Solfege. It was the most frustrating thing ever. It's the first time that perfect pitch kind of failed me. Interesting. You, yeah. Does it bother you when you hear, when you hear things that are um, recorded out of tune, like something like, um, you know, Roxanne was is notoriously sped up yeah. and isn't isn't really I love hitting a note. I when you hear that. a note that's not in a normal scale, do you naturally listen to those recordings and does it screw with your head? As long as it's all relative. If if it, if Roxanne were in four forty one, in a, Which, the true right. true perfect. So pitch. to explain, like so. When we tune something to a guitar or piano, like you know, you Roxanne, that's in G minor, Ro- and he sings it, Roxanne, Roxanne. That's gonna be sharp, right? Roxanne. But he's singing it down. I think they, they, they. I want to say they sped it up and. Either that made it up like a half step or a whole step, but he doesn't actually. No, they sing just it. Verif- they, they they were listening to it at the end probably, and you know, don't quote me on it, but they were probably like, we could use a couple BPMs up, so they took the tape and they just sped it up. There's Which modern meant that examples. The pitch of that. actually went up too because yeah, of- but that it, there's something about that yeah. that makes it warmer. And one of and 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 those guys, Ju- uh, Julian Veneta and and John Ryan, like so one of my favorite things they did on. Um, wait, Joe, were you involved on that? Rest? Steal my girl. Did you do that, record? Okay, well, you're still great anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, Steal My Girl, when I first heard that, it was, it was in B-flat major, and they pitched it down. You can hear, here's the, here's, here it is again. Versus... It's amazing, like a subtle change like that, and they did it intentionally, not because they needed a tempo change, but um, it, it just made it warmer. And I thought that was really ingenious of them. When, because it was hard for you to do the solfege scale, was it hard for you to write lyrics? I'm really not. I'm good for like l- lyric phrases, just like one sentence, which is why I go to Jay Cash to, you know, to fill in the rest of the story. Like, I wrote like all of these courses like we don't talk anymore attention and see you again and you know that weird one marvin gay and I, I i but i get so caught up in like the chords and how the production should sound that by the time i i'm pretty uninspired i guess it's is that messed up to say i i need someone else to help me get it across the bridge when did you first start writing songs mm. when i was 13 I've always written songs based on hearing other songs. I, um, when I was 13, and I remember what I wrote too, um, I, I listened to this 98 Degrees record. Um, what was the... Uh, it's the hardest thing I'll ever have to do. It's the hardest thing. And by hearing that, my 13-year-old brain mixed it up and jumbled it, and I wrote... Uh, I, this is just a. It's just, I, I love how I'm saying this is a scratch lyric. I wrote this when I was 13. But you walked out of my life. Yeah, da, 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 yeah. 
that was the first thing I ever wrote. That right there, and I oh, and I loved the. I didn't know what that chord was called at the time, but I know I wanted something like that, so I put that chord in instead. It's funny, I was my initial intro was trying to describe what pi- being having perfect pitches, and it's like mm-hmm. in, in theory, the idea is like. You know, when people look at something that's blue, yeah. they have a word to describe that. Yeah. So they look at that light wave and they're like, that's blue. And we, mm-hmm. for the most part, there are people who are colorblind, but for the most part, we all look at blue and we all have we this consensus blue. that this is blue. A lot of people have some form of um, of perfect pitch but don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, that's a whole other thing. The idea that you can hear... A chord, mm-hmm. and then go to a piano and play it, or you can actually say, "Oh, that's C sharp half diminished." Whatever you can actually, you can look. That's C sharp half diminished. Play it right now. Yeah, okay. and I think this is fully diminished. I could be wrong. I've never been good with the names of chords, but I can just hear it. But you're right. When you see blue, people think blue. I just think the same with thing music. With notes. Yeah. And I think it's I think that's interesting. It's like it's strange how um uh how people hear music well, but they don't necessarily have the vocabulary or the training to actually say this song is blue in right. that way. Like they don't. And so that's where it's like it's us- it's really unusual for people to hear songs and be able to um, actually replicate that. Well, I mean, at the, in this, on the same token, that's how, you know, geniuses like Pharrell and and Mike Karen, who in their own right might not be able to tell you what chord that needs to be in there exactly, but they can, with like body movements and examples of other songs, and they, they can... They can convey the uh, the message, and it's guys like me with the vo- intense vocabulary that can work with them and you know kind of execute. When did you start collaborating? Because finding someone like the the lyricists you've worked with are are really talented people, and mm-hmm. and I think that's another that's another part of music that's um, I don't want to say underrated in the pop community, but it is. You know, there aren't a lot of people who can take. A concept and make it seem conversational, and mm-hmm. that's what makes Jay Cash in particular so yeah. brilliant. Is that he's able to take what seems like a really intense concept and make it seem, you know, like yeah. anyone would say it. Yeah, and and the the greatest thing is when you can play a song for somebody and they hear. Um, I feel, I feel really douchey citing my own songs, but when the when when they hear like a song like "We Don't Talk Anymore," it's like I. I, hopefully they would say I've said that to my friend or before, okay. or I broke it. I broke up with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and I've said that to um, a crony of mine. Yeah. And uh, and now they hear melody to it, and they're like, I feel like I've heard this song before. Like that's the I want people to say I feel like I've heard this song before because then they're just in it. Why did you go to music school? I went to music school because I wanted to be the best jazz piano player ever, and. I am not. I wanted to be like. Um, Why? I I just uh, because I'm not I'm not good with like uh, like a, like all those fast phrases. I'm like more. I was more into like Bill Evans and. Uh, like really nice chord changes and chill vibes more so than. Uh, 
like I could I just I, I didn't like the bebop era um but I wanted to I felt like I had to like get good at that in order to be a, a success story and I never thought I would be like a pop singer I always thought that I was just going to be a jazz piano player um uh so that's really why I went to music school did you record demos I mean I know some of the story and we'll get to that but like were you recording demos in high school or at yeah. Berkeley with you singing? Yeah, they're on Is MySpace still around? There's like I used to upload I used to upload songs to uh in, I think in my this must have been 2008 in my junior year of high school I was going to Manhattan School of Music and um you know Justin Bieber was getting really popular and I started to get jealous. I was like, "Oh my gosh, he has so many fans. I want fans like that." but I can't get those fans by playing jazz. So I have to do pop music, but I don't like pop music. I mean, I do like pop music, but I, it needs to be meteor. It, it can't just be, you know, it needs to be like, like meteor, you know what I mean? And um, so maybe there's a, I told myself, maybe there's a way to combine jazz and pop music. And it was really, it's a weird sentence, but Justin Bieber really is like the reason why I wanted to become popular on YouTube and, uh, uh, like known by a lot of people. Were you were you envious because of what your personal life was? Like, what was your personal life during all this? Are you sitting at home playing piano only, or are you yeah. like, did you you know? Hang I didn't. Out with I, I, I didn't hang out. I didn't really have a lot of friends. I had five friends. I didn't go out. I had you know no girls in my life. I had no game. Um, I, I, you know, I, I had to like drive 10 miles away from my house just to call this girl and ask her to prom. And she told me that she was going with someone already. I called uh, her like five times. It was so embarrassing. I had no game. And I was like, you know you what? Did you touch with her at all? No. <laughs> but, and I'm thinking, about, I'm looking at Bieber and I'm like, wow, like he has such a good voice. I could work on my voice and be just as a good of singer, uh, just as good of a singer um, as him. And, Maybe I can get girls one day, but I have to write pop music. So in my junior year of high school, I started writing pop music, like focusing only on pop music. And I started to kind of get away from practicing jazz every day. I still will jump up with, you know, go to the Big Potato on Ventura and, you know, jump up with any jazz, you know, quintet, quartet, um, trio and uh, play with them. But I started to kind of, 2008 was the year, like the dawn of YouTube was when I started kind of getting out of jazz land. Yeah. Um, you went to Berkeley, which obviously has a lot of great mm-hmm. talent. Yeah, Berkeley um, changed my life. Why? Berkeley changed my life because it taught me that I had to do things on my own. I could take classes. I had already been to Manhattan School of Music, Eastman, uh, New England Music Camp. I had taken some small studies at Juilliard. I, I, I didn't need any more school, but I knew I had to go to Berkeley to get um, get my pop sense. And I wanted to be better than everybody. Um, I wanted to do the academia. I wanted to go to class, but I also wanted to take the Amtrak to New York City and wait five hours outside of um, <laughs> the record label that I'm currently signed to <laughs> right now. Wait, what? Yeah, I've never told anybody that. I waited outside of Blah Blah Blah's office for five hours, and uh, it's just ironic that I'm uh, signed. What to happened? Uh, tell me. You got to tell me that story. I had... Um, I, I, my, my whole goal was to, uh, and so, so I started, I, okay, so I was signed to Ellen and I was like, okay, now I'm going to be famous pop singer and that didn't work out and I got all depressed. So I went back to school and. Okay. 
You're gonna have to tell this story. Okay, but you gotta, sorry, you I, I, I'm like really like, jumpy. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Organize my thoughts, Ross. Right, okay, I will. So you're at Berkeley. You start a YouTube channel then. Is I, that right? Or right yeah, before? The, the I, I had a YouTube channel before, but it got um, you know, how, like the verified check on yeah. Twitter. It got partnered at the time. It was a huge deal to have your channel partnered, and. Um, the guy, George Strompolis, who was running the YouTube partner program at the time, it was his last day, and I had been begging him, please, please give me a partnered account so I can make money and just have a job in college. And it was his last day, and he was like, you know what? F it. Here Let's you go. It. Let's do it. So he partnered my account. I started making ridiculous comedy videos because I saw Andy Samberg on SNL, and I just made... They're very cringy. You can yeah. watch them if you want to. Yeah, They're somewhere online. It's, <laughs> it's cringy. I don't tell a lot of people about that because I don't like that. You uh, just did. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was just an interesting time. I was just you know being a teenager, being a kid running around in Boston Mass and throwing wigs on my head. and I always had characters in my mind. I, always, I love comedy, and I always loved making comedy music. So that's what I was making for a while. And then... Um, my mom told me that I wasn't going to be taken seriously if I didn't start, you know, crunching down and writing actual pop music. So I started writing music. I did a serious cover of a song uh, by Adele, who I was just working out with. I told you that. This <laughs> yeah, is so, so weird. crazy. Um, did you? Does she know that you're a story? Does she know that you kind of got your break? I don't think so. I just let her do her thing. I don't like to talk to people when they're working out because it's not the most like I'm not the right. most attractive when I'm working out, and I, you know, she had to shake hands. I don't. It's Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. But, um, um, so you do a cover. I do a cover, and it was the first video that wasn't a funny video on my channel. And it went up on this site called PerezHilton.com, and Ryan Seacrest reposted it, and it ended up, ended up getting 100,000 hits in a night, which was the most amount of hits I've ever accumulated on a video. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. I'm getting more popular on YouTube from serious music not just you know stupid comedy videos. Um, so Ellen flew me out to LA. I performed on the show. Um, I'll never forget this. Larry Jackson, who is now working at Apple, um, was uh, Jimmy Iovine's right-hand man. They brought me into uh, Ellen's uh, dressing room with Portia, and they were like, we want to give you a record deal. We want to sign you to uh, our th this new record deal we're doing with Interscope. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's dope. I'm gonna go back to Berkeley with a record deal. Are you kidding me? And I get to, I, I don't get, I, I should, I don't need to make comedy videos anymore. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm taken seriously as a real musician. The plan's working out, and then I'll, you know, sneak some jazz into pop music. Um, that didn't end up working out. I made some music in Malibu. It was not, it was not very. Why good. Why didn't it work out? Um. I don't, you know, without getting into too much detail, Ellen's still like a really good friend of mine, but it just, it wasn't the right time. Her yeah. show was, you know, on fire, taking yeah. off bigger than ever. Um, Larry was uh, going to, he, he knew that he was going to Apple. Jimmy was, uh, he knew that he was going to Apple. Yeah. Jimmy showed me the first uh, Dr. Dre uh, boombox in his house in Holmby Hills. He said, he said, you see this? This is going to change the music industry. And I'm like, yeah, right. It's just a boombox. Yeah. I was fucking yeah, wrong. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's a genius. All respect to Jimmy and Larry. Um, and uh, so you were signed there for a while while you're in school, mm -hmm. and that's a strange thing to have a record deal while, in a way, your peers don't. And yeah. then also to be, you know, you you build your look. If somebody says to you, "Here's a record deal," and, mm -hmm. and that tends to be the goal, you're you're spending most of the nights like kind of daydreaming. 
before you go to sleep, being like, yeah. I'm going to be huge someday, but yet your songs aren't coming out. Yeah, dude, I became a cocky son of a bitch. It, in, what? In 2000, uh, what was it, 2011, I was a cocky motherfucker. And then the songs don't work. The songs don't <laughs> you know, work, like, and it's incredibly humbling because I'm all arrogant at Berkeley. Look at me, I'm why I brought. I I could uh, afford to get a Burberry scarf. I thought that was super cool. I wrapped it around my neck, and I was just walking around right. Berkeley like, look at me, and I real. And it was incredibly humbling when it all didn't work out, and I had to go back to school. And I was like, you know what? I'm putting my ego aside, and I am going back to Berkeley. I go for free. I'm on a full scholarship. Like I, why, why I was gonna drop out? Can you believe that? That would have been the dumbest thing ever. My mom and dad told me not to drop out, so I listened to them. Went back to Berkeley, did a refresh on my life. I'm like, okay, I gotta not just do covers on YouTube. I gotta not do funny videos. I need to start writing music. I need to. Maybe I'm not the best singer in the world. At that time, I've gotten a little bit better, but I'm still not great. I, I w was really not good at that time. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to write music for other artists. And Cody Simpson at the time, who was signed to Atlantic, was like, I'm going to write a song for Cody Simpson. Um, and my dad is always a firm believer that you have to meet people and shake their hand rather than just send them an email. So I would send these demos, which were like pretty good songs actually, I would send them to A&Rs and I would follow up by just taking the train unannounced, pretending I was my own manager, like, Charlie Puth is in the building and needs to see you right away, blah, blah, blah. And they would let me in. And I'd be like, please just listen to my demos. Please let Cody cut this. And they would be like, no. And I had to take the train back. But I would always reward myself with like a, a, like a shitty DiGiorno pizza on the Amtrak <laughs> and go back to Boston, um, you know, meet up with a girl or something like that and kind of re-motivate myself and uh, drive around with my buddy Mike Balls around Boston and just like get just just get inspired and go back to New York fail go back to Boston go back to New York go back to Boston and uh one day um j you know Jeff Levin yeah um he set up my first session ever um he, he heard your demo one of your demos and was like yeah i'll set you up he heard one of my demos and he was like you know what this was the this was january 2014 um uh so all the people who thought that charlie puth was an overnight success think again so january 2014 i go to la and jeff is like you know what i want to put you with this guy named michael keenan and uh i'm thinking about signing him and I'm like, okay. And uh, he's the, he ended up producing uh, uh, Me, Myself, and I by BB Rexa and G Easy and does all these, uh, uh, like all the Skizzy Mars and a whole bunch of other stuff. He's a really super talented guy. He was my first session ever. And it was my first time experience like working with someone else. I had never collaborated with anybody. And it was actually, I was really opposed to it. And Cara Diaguardi came up to me and was like, you are not good right now. You're writing songs that sound like Nick Lachey and you're writing all these ballads. You need to write hard pop music. And I'm like, but I don't want to. I want I want beautiful I want beautiful chords in pop music. Why do I have to change the, my style of writing? She was like, you're never going to. And it was really harsh and uh hearing it from her, but she was right. And I was really pissed at her, and I was like, "Fuck you! You're so mean." And she was like, "She's really good at that advice that you don't want to hear." <laughs> oh, I did. She's like, she's, I she's great. <laughs> I did. I did. She's fantastic. I did not want to hear it at the time. Yeah. I was so mad at her, Kara. If you're listening to this, I love you very much now. And uh, she, that advice really changed my life. It made me open to collaboration, and I collaborated with Mikey, and. Um, 
it was the first time me seeing someone else um, produce some Pro Tools, and I learned some tricks from him. I would be at my house in Rumson, New Jersey. He'd take the boat in, and we would just like produce records until like six o'clock in the morning. It was the most fun I've ever had in my life. And then I worked with um, um, uh, a guy named uh, Smarter Child, Rick, and uh, and he only worked in uh, Ableton, I think. And he, uh, I had never heard of another DAW other than Pro Tools. And I learned, I just started learning all these tricks and uh, uh, things from other producers, and um, I started just catching on. You know what I mean? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How soon from when Jeff met you to, like, you're starting to co-write with, you know, his his writers? Yeah, his writers. And, I mean, if it weren't for Jeff setting that up... um, I don't think uh, any of the, I wouldn't be here talking to my friends right now about right. how great my life is. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm writing. I finished college a year early, and I moved back home, and I'm kind of right back to where I was um, when I was dropped from Ellen. And I start to freak out. I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like these, Everyone says they like these songs, but no one's cutting them. And I go to the hype machine. Someone told me, Rick told me about the hype machine. And... I listen to all these like wavy like bedroom records, and I'm like, oh wow, I could make songs that people want to have sex to, and have just like, and I and they're using all my chords. Like I would hear snake hips, and they're using all these jazzy chords, and I'm, it was the first time me hearing like jazz in pop music, and I'm like, I could do this and make it less bloggy sounding. Not that being a blog song is a bad thing. It, that that music actually pushes pop music in a sure. new direction, um, but it was eye opening for me. And I spent six months just making wavy R&B records. And I realized that was, it hit me. That, that was, those were the records that I started listening to in 1994. Like th- that was the music sure. I grew up with. And here I am making it. And I got the attention um, uh, from uh, uh, Ben Madahi and Miles Beard and Mike Karen. And I- this is an email that Miles sent me. Um, oh, that's awesome. It was like, Read I, it. Hey, Charlie, nice to meet you. I love Instagram Models, a song that I made at the time. Uh, that actually turned into a Lil Wayne song with myself on it. He writes, so dope. Are you published right now? <laughs> I wrote back, no, I'm not. Um, and he was like, do you want to... Um, this was now June 2014. He was like, do you want to come out and uh, write for artists like CeeLo and B.O.B.? Um, and uh, like Wiz Khalifa? I'm like, yes, absolutely. And I go out. And the first day, I'm with this really talented writer named Julie Frost. And you know Julie, don't yeah, you? Yeah, Julie's great. She's amazing. She talks like this. I, I loved her voice from the moment I met her. She's like, 
we need to write something soulful. And I'm like, yes, we need to write something soulful. That's what I've been spending six months doing at my parents' house. We need to do something fucking soulful. Let's do it. And I couldn't come up with anything. I was so scared because it was still really... I had just started collaborating with people in January of 2014. And she was like, you know what, honey? Let's <laughs> let's go get a shake. And we go to shake on Coanga, this uh, Life Organics place on Coanga uh, Boulevard. And... Uh, uh, I get the shake and I just hear just in my head I start like and she thinks I'm like a crazy person I'm like I got it we need to do something like this and we go back um, to uh, the formerly Death Row Records on Coanga now my Karen's APG and I'm like and she was like, Let, "Let's let's let something get get going." I'm like, "Let's move and get it on," because I was trying to make a funny song. Like I was just like right. trying to loosen the mood up a little bit. And again, I like I said before, I grew up on YouTube making stupid funny songs. So I thought, "Let's Marvin Gaye and get it on." Like that's stupid. We're never gonna use that. And she was like, "That's actually really good." And I'm like, "Oh my god, it is!" And we just wrote the entire chorus then and there. And Mike came in and was like. Uh, this is really great. Um, finish no, it. No, no, no. This, this no, no, you can't say that. <laughs> Mike Karen comes in and says, "Oh, this would be perfect for CeeLo. Sorry, Mike. I, he's, I know he's listening to it right now. <laughs> That's Mike's signature voice. He's the greatest of all time. Um, <laughs> and uh, he goes in like this is. He immediately says, "This would be perfect for CeeLo." And I'm like, "This would be perfect for CeeLo." So Mike trusts me enough to put me in a session with CeeLo. And record this song, um, and I had never worked with an artist before, so I was super nervous. And uh, and you know, Lowe was so he's such a cool guy. He was uh, uh, he was so used to like you know just recording stuff, and I was all nervous. I had written out all the lyrics for him, and um, I ended up uh, I ended up singing that record. Interestingly enough, and uh, okay, so. We'll go back to that in a second. So the second day, every, everyone's buzzing about me in the building. They're like, this cool kid named Charlie wrote this funny song, but it's actually kind of good. Diane Warren heard it and was like, that's a smash. Um, the second day, I go into uh, Ben Madahi comes up to me um, and says, I want you to you know, meet uh, Frankie, uh, J- Justin Franks. DJ Frankie, I'm like, oh my God, DJ Frankie. He produces uh, Austin Mahone. He produces Flo Rida. He has... He's made records for Kanye West. He's like this huge guy. Like I can't believe they must really like me. And um, I noticed that he's in like kind of like a mm, mood. Like something's on his mind. And uh, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make him really happy right now. He was working on a track with Andrew Cedar, um, and it went like. <laughs> It was really, it was like trumpeted out and synthed out, like layer. And we just kept, he had all these vintage synths, and I just kept layering synth after synth. And we couldn't come up with like a melody or lyrics or anything. It was just supposed to be a meeting, but um, he was just like kind of checked out. He, and again, he had something on his mind. And uh, I, I delete the entire session in front of him. And I'm like, you know what? We need to, because, you know, going back to keeping things simple, like I did with Marvin Gaye, I'm just like, you know, let's just loosen the mood. I delete the entire session. He gets so mad at me. He's like, what are you doing? Why did you just do that? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just trust me, it's... And then, it's, and then immediately I go... Another long day 
And then it's just he and I in the room right now, and he looks at me, and later I find out that the reason why he's so uh, just like in that kind of mood is because he was thinking about his friend who he had recently just lost, and he heard in my mumbles, my friend, and he was like, "Without you, my friend." And then after that, after he said that, I was like, Then I tell you all about it when I see you again. And then we look at each other and we like start crying. It was two dudes who had never met each other before start crying in front of each other. And he goes up to me, he's like, hug me, brother. And we just, I'm getting like chills thinking about it right now. Two people who were with each other for two hours were crying and hugging each other just because of one line. And we wrote the entire song and we spent, uh, we we started making the production. Uh, we worked on it until like two a.m. The and that's my voice. And I did that because I knew he produced tonight. I'm effing you by Enrique. And I'm like, I'm gonna oh, really yeah. impress him right now because I'm gonna do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was like, bro, we need we need. And so the next day, we're so, and I'll never forget. Mike came in. And uh, uh, we took him out of a meeting with like Simon Cowell, and he was like, "What?" He was pissed. He was like, "What is so important?" And we and we play him that, and he like starts like tearing up too. And he just and I just met Mike too, and he was like, "Give me the pound. You just nailed it." And that's the song that. And I'll never forget. A hundred people came in and out of the studio that day, and they notified the movie company. They were like, "We have your song," and like I I wrote it with Frankie. In uh, and Andrew in like ten minutes. Did you have? Um, did you even have the deal done yet? The publishing no, deal. No, I was unpublished. And Mike, I remember my lawyer sent oh, me. There was a deal like in five minutes. Right? Oh, they, they <laughs> like, wouldn't let me before le- he left the building. They wouldn't yeah. let me leave. Yeah. And Mike was like, "I don't care what it takes. Let's just get it done today." Yeah. And we got it done. It was just. It, it was a. It, it, it was a perfect combination. You, both Marvin Gaye and See You Again, you mm-hmm. come in as a writer, not yeah. as the artist, really. And no. CeeLo's about to cut Marvin Gaye, and they w- started reaching out to other people to do the feature on oh, See they, You Again. They so recorded everybody. So how did everybody. they end up being your songs, and how do you end up saying, like, hey, Mike, I really want to be the artist here. You don't have a record deal with them. This is just mm-hmm. a publishing deal. Yeah. Like, you weren't the artist anymore. I I start I, I wasn't, but I started to just like I realized that I had to stop making funny videos and kind of get out of jazz land and start writing serious pop records. I started to realize, wow, maybe I'm the artist after all. And I I said to Mike, like I really think that I should sing Marvin Gaye. And they had a lot of great singers sing "See You Again," like huge names. I won't name them, but like huge. Just picture the biggest names, and they all did an amazing job. But the movie company was like, "We like the demo. The kid who sang the demo, like it felt the realest honest. when yeah. it mo- felt the most honest. Not that they didn't do a good job cutting it, but they, it just felt the most honest when the the kid singing the demo sang it. And um, uh, uh, and the movie company was like, there's one issue though. We don't know who he is and we see all these funny YouTube videos. This is a very serious scene at the end of Fast and Furious. It's going to be kind of an iconic scene for our brother Paul Walker and uh, to honor him. And they're like, who's this kid? He's not, we, we got to find somebody else, but nobody could nail it. So they ended up ultimately... Wait, did See You Again come out before or after um, Marvin Before Gaye. Marvin Gaye. 
So, See You Again comes out. It's your first song. You've already gone through a record deal that didn't really work out. Mm -hmm. You know this is coming out and being part of a movie, but it's also part of, you know, it's Fast and Furious number seven or six or something. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's like every Fast and Furious movie has a hit, although a lot of them did. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. what were your expectations? I, in all arrogance aside, and in the most humble way possible that I could possibly say this, I knew that it was going to be a monster. I just knew it. I, I, I just you just you just know. You know when you just know. Where the very rare times that you just know, I just knew it was going to be insane because everyone. I I, I played it for the most macho people, like all my Jersey friends. You know, working out in the gym and like you know tough guys, and they were all they would all cry after they heard it. Not in like it was, and they and I wouldn't play it for them at Sunday, two o'clock in the morning, in a very melancholic time. I would play it for them in the middle of Starbucks, and they would just cry. And I knew that if every person was doing that, it had to yeah. be a monster. I just in in the most humble way possible. I'm not saying everything I do is a monster, and I really don't get a lot of things right. But I knew at that time that I got it right. So that becomes big, and you have to fill up an album real quick, right? Yeah, we started. We were scrambling. It was the most stressful. It was. It was. It was the biggest rap record since Lose Yourself. Yeah, and we had no follow up. And Marvin Gaye worked, but it was so different that it, people weren't connecting. People were not dots. connecting it at all. It was polar opposites. It did well. It like peaked at like number twenty on the Billboard chart which was incredible for like you know a first artist first song right but no one was connecting um it was and and then i was kind of back to where i was after you know i got dropped from ellen like i was in the same mindset again because i was i was stressed out and like i don't know i just decided yesterday that i wanted to be an artist i still don't feel like i'm an artist what kind of music am i gonna make um, and that's where um, my debut album, Nine Track Mind, came about. Um, because every song on there, it doesn't really sound like an album. It sounds like a collection of different songs. There's no real consistency. We Don't Talk Anymore doesn't sound like One Call Away. One Call Away d- truly does not sound like uh, Marvin Gaye. Um, but it was just me trying to figure out who I was musically. Sure. It took two years. When you heard One Call Away, did you feel like that was a smash? Yes. And... That was the first time that I had to kind of swallow my pride and realize that I wasn't going to write anything, and I w- I needed to rely on some brilliant minds to help me uh, get that through, like Mozilla, Brayon, uh, Shy. Uh, Shy Carter, and uh, and Frankie. I had to rely on my friends to get that done, and it was Frankie. He told me, we, we, you know, the label had you know paid for this uh trip in Montecito for us to write all these um all these you know potential hits and we wrote nothing and it was really scaring me because they dropped a lot of money and I didn't write anything and uh I had to go to Shanghai the next day I was sick as a dog and Frankie told me that he went to uh Shy and was like you know I have this idea for a song It'll, it goes I'm only one call away and that's it and then um Shy started playing on his ukulele like First of all, there are two comments on the things you've been saying. One is that APG is really good at introducing unknown writers to each other. Mm-hmm. That's been their forte. I was I was writing with Ammo and Sean Douglas. You would never think last that- week, and we all met because of Cody Simpson. Also, yeah. it was like when they need 
songs for an artist. Like I met Ricky Reed because of CeeLo, who is mm-hmm. now producing my thing. You know, it's yeah. like there's been um, the amount of people that met because they don't really care what is on your resume. They yeah. just if they like you, they're like they'll just start opening doors. That's so the, that's part I of the Jay Cash because of it. I met so many yeah. people in in the APG world. It's out of control. So they're they're good about that. That's and sometimes they don't get it right, and sometimes they really get it right. That, that's part of the genius of Mike Karen. That that guy runs a company like he's never had a hit before. Like yeah. he's had so much success these uh, past couple of years, and here I am with him at his uh, dining room table at you know one at one a.m. I mentioned like one a.m. and two a.m. like a lot in this interview. Um, two a.m. like when we're like we're trying to like figure out this melody like we've never had success before and sure. that's why I love Mike. Um it's also unusual for an artist the other thing I was going to say is unusual for an artist at at almost any point but they're not every artist is good at embracing the songwriting community and mm-hmm. therefore not the songwriting community doesn't embrace every artist. There are a right. lot of artists where it's like the songwriting community doesn't really want to be involved in their career because yeah. there's like this adverse adversarial relationship between, you know, the people writing the songs and the people recording the songs. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, when you start to embrace the co-writing stuff, you see what can happen. You People know? nowadays who are listening to radio have never been more interested in what's happening behind the scenes in a song. Like when Ed Sheeran wrote Love Yourself for Justin Bieber and it kind of had Ed's flair on it a little bit. Yeah. It got people so interested in like, oh wow, Ed Sheeran's a songwriter too. Justin worked with Ed. Um, I, I think it's important for me now, primarily as an artist, I'm all always. Be, I produce all these records. I'm always going to be like a songwriter producer. But right now, I'm the artist. I realize that I'm not always going to be like right now. I'm doing well, but I realize that I'm not always going to be the one who's coming up with the latest and greatest shit. So I have to surround myself with brilliant minds and songwriters who will inspire me to use some unused portion of my mind. Uh, that's why Max Martin is such a genius because he surrounds himself with you know, the latest and greatest, and he applies what he knows. Sure. And what you even said, you know, your first song is a song by Neil Sedaka, and mm-hmm. the Neil Sedaka and and Carol King, you know, the whole Brill building would collaborate with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like that was the thing. None of the Brill building writers are really solo people. Neil Sedaka actually was one that, had some 100% songs, but most of wow. those people were really, you know, they were writing teams. It was yeah. Goffin and King. It was, you know, it Paul was Anker Lieber and, and Stola, yeah. Stoller. It was, you know, it, it, a lot of these people were, you know, were part of teams. I so. like to think me and Jay Cash are like, uh, yeah, you guys are like, you're doing it. He, co- sure. he describes us as Elton John and the other guy. Yeah, Bernie Toppin. Yeah. We're I like love the, that. We're like the fucked up version of that. <laughs> I know We Don't Talk Anymore came from you guys driving in a car. Yeah, me and Miles. We were, Miles had um, uh, been going, going through uh, some tough stuff with um, his, uh, his girlfriend. Um, and, uh, he, and I said, do you talk to her anymore? And he, he's fine with me telling this. He said, do you, do you talk to her anymore? And he said, uh, no, we don't talk anymore. And when he, and again, me trying to cheer him up and loosen the mood, I was like, we don't talk anymore. 
like uh, like something the village people would sing. Yeah. We don't talk anymore. Like or Abba. Yeah. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. That's how I heard it in my head. And he was like, you know what? You should like stop doing that. But you should actually write down that lyric. It's really sick. Yeah. And um, we were just driving around Santa Monica, and uh, I have the original voice note on my phone. Um, I have to like dig through it. I'll I'll find it in a second, but um, it just went. We don't talk anymore. And then, um, so a week later, I went to the Philippines, and I was surrounded by. I have a huge fan base in the Philippines, and I guess I was just like so excited by. I felt like Justin Bieber. I felt like a superstar. Um, I went to my hotel suite and I opened up. We don't talk anymore, and uh, I just started chopping up this guitar. I recorded on an iPhone. That kind of sounded like Ed Sheeran. It was like, and I just heard, we don't talk anymore. And I heard a crowd singing along. The moment I recorded it, I was also smoking a lot of weed that night. I don't smoke anymore. Um, I, I heard a crowd uh, singing along to the song. And when I heard that, I just like my high brain like knew that it was going to be something. Dude, it, it was. <laughs> um, when you did... You know, obviously, Voice Notes is the name of the upcoming yeah. album, and for obvious reasons, yeah. you know, here you are going back and and looking at your voice notes, and mm. and if people, you know, I don't I don't know if non musicians do this because I I know we're all walking around L.A. in grocery stores like mumbling ideas in our phones, yeah, and they they literally become the songs that end up on our album. It's I all mean, about your surroundings. I, I remember I was walking with Bonnie McKee and Thomas Trollson and uh, on Hollywood. We, we went to Urban Outfitters and got some new clothes, all of us, and we were really excited about our new clothes, especially Bonnie, because she like rocks everything. And Thomas just whipped out his phone and was like, I got time, I got mine. And that's a song called Up All Night on my debut record. And it's just amazing, just, just from a little smash of inspiration i mean we did that recently kind of it was a bit of a different story where we were at max's and we were writing something it was good but we weren't like getting like oh my god this is it um we had some poke and <laughs> this is this is so real yeah this is very real get ready we all had some poke and uh how should i say this lightly we all got kind of blocked uh, if you if you eat enough poke <laughs> and protein no one no one is sitting in that room for longer than a half hour yeah. and it's this thing where you start like kind of sweating and yeah. you're at like the greatest mecca of songwriting right now and you're like i got to go to find a bathroom like now we all and went like, to the bathroom we all like did different our business bathrooms different bathrooms <laughs> at the same time and then i from this and you tell me if i'm wrong i remember i went onto that piano um in johan's room you'll 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 hear you'll hear the song later yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh i started playing those chords and uh we just started writing you, yeah. you came up with the whole lyric and the chorus and um johan uh started like writing like the verse chords and like we it, the song literally came together because so we were fast. all it was so fast because we were all taken down a notch we were all relaxed we loosened the mood yeah <sighs> It wasn't all about like, is this a smash? And then we were like, yeah. wow, I just like this song. It moved from like mm -hmm. this other song was maybe I don't even remember it, but I, I remember it. It's good. It was just not you know amazing. It's just not amazing. Yeah. And it, like you can do something that's in a way if you follow the, like the formula and the math of it, like mm -hmm. you know a song's not going to be 
bad, but it doesn't mean it's going to be special. And, yeah. and on some level, like the special part comes from like the wrong parts, you know, and, and that yeah. comes from not being focused enough. On caring that it's going to be played on the radio, we just were right. like, you know what? It's four o'clock. We only have three hours. Let's just hail Mary it. Yeah, and that's what we did. And I think it's yeah, we're teasing the shit out of people right now because <laughs> when you hear it in January, you'll know what we're talking yeah, about. Exactly. It's it's one of the most special songs on the album. So thanks for writing it with me. Ah, Ross. you're welcome. When uh, yeah, you're explain <laughs> explain the story of when you told Pharrell about the album. Um, side album. Yeah, so. I'm working at six o'clock in the morning with Pharrell. I'm so But not tired. because you're up all night, because he no. starts really early. He starts really early. He just had triplets. So he has to work in the very wee hours of the morning uh, to be home by the afternoon to take care of his triplets. Um, and uh, we're at Conway. And uh, I remember there was a. Just there was just like smoke from the engineer, just for ambience. None of us really smoke, but it was. I got like a really bad contact high, and I had to walk outside. And Pharrell calmed me down. He was like, "You're okay. It's all good. It was just. It's just in the air. It's. It's going away now." And he took me down, and I was relaxed. And I was like, "You know what? I should tell him. I, I should ask him what he thinks of this album title." And uh, my friend just happened to be uh, recording an idea, and I told Pharrell, and he started freaking out. He was like, "Woo! That's the best album title I've heard all year." And I was like, "Oh my gosh! I have to call it Voice Notes now." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think if Pharrell, you get the stamp of approval from Pharrell. You got to go with it. Um, yeah. Did you know Attention was a hit when you finished it? Did you think like that's the single? I didn't know Attention was a hit right away. I just knew it was fun. And it felt like something uh, that I could finally attach myself to as an artist. It felt like a Charlie Puth song. Um, and I wrote it originally thinking... Uh, because I used to play jazz and classical. Obviously, I said it like 100,000 times. I'm sure you're sick of hearing it. But I, I thought, what would it be like if I wrote an orchestra like a blum 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 like if that was a pizzicato blum 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 and like a cello like something like sneaky and promiscuous sounding and uh, I took the strings out and ended up um, playing each individual note on a guitar boom 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 and putting it lining it up in Pro Tools you know all about that Joe and putting it on the grid and I got that loop and I just started layering it with like boom 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 and originally it was like like big explosion I was like what if we did the opposite and we did an anticlimactic yeah. drop because I was looking up all these anti-jokes last night, uh, the, the, the night before. You know what an anti-joke is? It's like a horse walks into a bar and the rabbi and uh, uh, the white guy and the black guy all walk out as they see the immediate danger. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, that's, that's exactly. the, It's an right. anti-joke. Right. Um, I was like, what if there's a thing called an anti-drop? Yeah. Because, you know, it's everything for a while was... <laughs> yeah, right. Why not just make it... A soft kick drum, a bass, which is trillion, it's a fake bass, and just a really high melody, kind of like in We Don't Talk Anymore. And when I did that, I knew 
Um, and I wrote all something. there was there was something, and I just had you just want attention, and of course I write everything from the personal experience, and you know I was I might have been going through something at that time. Yeah, you can read about that online. <laughs> Is that hard? Um, yeah, like putting all of your private life into something kind of uh, inconspicuous. Ye- that like and music. the fact that like I mean people talk about it. Um. I'd rather than you know I mean? like people know your story. It's like you can't really. Well, they don't. Hide from they don't. They they think they know it. Right. They they don't really like the genius of uh, Taylor Swift is you think you know what she's singing about, but it's actually something completely different, or it's something a little bit different. With this, no one's ever nailed it. They think that they know what it's about, but it's actually about something completely different. I'll tell you what it's about at the afterwards. The, after this, yeah. <laughs> are and, you uh, are you famous? Am I famous? Um, like in your head, like when you walk, are, are you when you get stopped in the street? Yeah, you probably get stopped now, kind of a lot. I I get stopped everywhere now. Is so. that um? Is it everything you wanted it to be? Is it more? Uh, is it less? I I'm not even gonna lie and pretend like oh I just gotta get used to this life. It's great. Um, uh. Going into Nobu and being uh, being able to get a table right away that they put on reserve right. for a couple people that's awesome. It's not awesome when I'm driving on Beverly Boulevard and a paparazzi is trying to slam his Prius into my car or try and divert me and like so he can get a story that I like you know got a fender bender on uh, you know on the road. Did that happen? Yeah, it happened last week. And you know the pe- people, f- it's you know it's not so much. Fans like around my age are a little bit um, uh, younger than me. It's their parents. They everyone's so entitled nowadays. It's like I don't always want to take a picture. I I don't. It's it's dangerous to for you to be in the middle of Santa Monica Boulevard right now with your daughter, who's all embarrassed, saying that I need to take a picture with her. She is a fan of my music, and I'm happy she's a fan of my music, or he's a fan of my music. Uh, you're you're putting your your daughter or son in danger by doing it. that. Actually happened. Can you believe yeah, that? Yeah. Um, so those are the aspects I don't like when I'm having dinner with my family and people are like, "Can you take a picture with me?" It's like I'm eating with my mom, who I never get to see. She never yeah. comes to L.A. Can you? But I've gotten really good at telling people. So to answer your question, yes, I'm famous, but um, hopefully for the right reasons. Right. Exactly. This next segment. I'm gonna list five people. Okay. And you get to tell me like the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. All right. Ellen DeGeneres. A very sweet lady, a savvy businesswoman, a friend. Megan Trainer. A savvy businesswoman, a melodic genius, um, a chord genius, one of the best songwriters in in today, right now, yeah, in pop I'm, music. I am um to me, she's the she reminds me of what like Dolly Parton would have been. Yes, like, like I keep. No, she writes things like da, da, "Don't call me a friend." Da, da, if if I had again, it's like oh, yeah. it's like it's beautiful melodies that she yeah. writes. She's incredible. All right, so instead of going to each one, I guess we'll just say APG, and we'll include. Uh, let's go, to Mike Karen first. Uh, Mike Karen, uh, a huge reason as to why everything that's happening to me right now. Um, uh, he is a uh, pro. I, I describe him as very proactive. Um, goes above and beyond. Um, he is a music publisher, 
but um, goes um, out of his way to think of uh, great production ideas like uh, outside of the, the music, great video ideas. Um, uh, just a really, really, really smart guy. Overall. What about Miles Beard? Miles Beard, another reason why I'm here. Um, he uh, was the one uh, who emailed me. He was, the, he was the guy who emailed me and said, you have to come out here. And one of the, in my opinion, one of the best ears in the, in the A&R game right now. Yeah, I mean, he's responsible for a lot of massive hits. Yeah, um, I don't, I, when, I'm producing a, sure. when I'm producing a record, I really don't, I, I, I kind of like do my thing. I don't really take a whole lot of suggestions of like, oh, this chord should be different. But I do listen to Mike and Miles about like that guitar shouldn't be there. Like they're usually right. Yeah. J Cash. I mean, come on. <laughs> the, he, he, he opened up, he, he's, he's, he's writing my story right now um he he's doing everything that i can't do lyrically um uh, he is helping me express myself like i went through some shit times and uh last year and i wasn't able to um uh, uh to, to to voice it in the right way and i would have these conversations with him and him coming from like you know the young money background and the rap background he voiced it perfectly he helped me craft my artist project he's the reason why my artist project is the way it is right now sure your siblings steven uh, okay and michaela twins they're 23 they're hustlers the pooths are hustlers steven um was graduating gettysburg and he was a history major and he told me in his dorm room i drove to his, i drove to pennsylvania to meet him i was in baltimore and he said to me I want to do what you do. And I'm like, okay, here's th that Juno right there. I gave him that Juno, let him learn Pro Tools in his dorm room. And um, he literally, one year later, is now being, uh, I, I don't know if I can like say it exactly, but he, he's being courted by 10 publishing companies right now and is like the new hot songwriter on the block. And he wasn't even doing it a year ago. He didn't go to music school. He was just inspired, I guess, by what I do, and with the hustle and determination, he is where he is now. And Mikhail is my manager. I mean, I love that. Yeah, we're we're all. Like, when it comes down to it, like you were saying, the rough parts of the last year, and a lot of it is mm -hmm. like what happens going from you know you get a, getting your first record deal. Mm -hmm. I, I I know I went through that too. Where you get in, you're like, I'm gonna be huge. I got a record deal, and then you mm -hmm. realize. That that isn't even like the first step. No, not and then at all. record deals come and they go, and you can have multiple record deals. I mean, Bruno Mars gets Mars gets dropped. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, so many people get dropped out of their first deal, and it's like you're just trying to figure out how to how to like balance your life and all yep. this stuff, and and then all of a sudden you go from that to having one of the biggest songs of the last you know sixty years yeah. of Billboard. And then you go, you know, getting Grammy nominated and having to mm. perform on live TV and all these things, and then having songs come out. It's all big. Then you have to follow it up. Yeah. And all the pressure of like, you know, you go, you're spending a lot of your teens. You're saying, you know, you don't. It's not like you're. You have a bunch of girlfriends. You're. You're <laughs> like you're. Yeah, a that's, jazz. A, that's that's a very nice way of putting Dude, it. Dude, you were you were you spend years practicing your instrument at home. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you. You then for the you switch first, it up, yeah. You do something polar opposite, but related. Then 
I'll, I guess we'll end it on this. I mean, I my 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 goal from day one was you know when I heard Neil Sadako, when I heard TLC, was to find the similarities between in pop music, modern day pop music, and find the similarities in jazz and classical music. Taking "So What" by Miles Davis, that beautiful melody, and f- writing a melody uh, in a in a hip hop song. Yeah, a hit pop song nah, um, right. or a hip hop song. Yeah. You know what I mean and. That's that's what pushes music. It music music doesn't uh, reinvent itself. It, it it borrows from a past generation, and two percent is different. And that's how music progresses. And that's yeah. might been my goal from honestly day one to be responsible for making music just like that. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. I you know I I I hope when people hear this, they they get an opportunity to see what it's like to be in a room with you, which yeah. is, um, you know. It's so fun to write because we can go in a million different directions, mm-hmm. and all of us alone, you're you're still in your mindset, and you're you know you're pulling from whatever you know. But yeah. when you co-write, in theory, you go in a room with people who are better at what they do than what you do, mm-hmm. and it's always a pleasure to be in a session with you because you can do things that almost no one in the world can do, and it's. It, at the end of it, you end up with a song that you didn't expect to have when you walked in, you know. And I love well, that. That's you, like Ross. that's the whole purpose of what we do. And uh, I'm proud of you. And this is going to be a fun ride for this album too. Well, thank you. And you realize that I I, I can't get there on my own. So I you know, like you guys. You guys are both talented talented ass guys. And I. Oh, the reason why I work with people like you is because I feel like I need to step my game up when I'm around you. And Cash has said that before too. I want to impress Cash. I want to impress Ross. I want to impress Joe. I want to impress blah, 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 everybody. And uh, you guys are the reason where I'm at right now. I love it. So on that note, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is... If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. On next week's episode, we sit down with Claude Kelly. You know, I think a lot of what, this is my own experience, I would guess that I think a lot of what makes most musicians work and create the way they do is is their inspiration, but also I think we're formulated by the doors that are slammed in your face on your way up. So a lot of the chip on your shoulder or the reason why you work with certain artists is probably the ones that inspired you and probably the ones that everyone tells you doesn't think you can do i heard a lot of like if you're a black if you're a black writer you gotta write r&b and i got put in a lot of awkward sessions that really weren't the best for me because you guys are black so there should be a hit here um and sometimes i got put in really great sessions for that and it haven't worked out but more often than not i felt like it wasn't so much that i couldn't write the song because it more i usually wrote i was able to make it work it was just I was so offended by the fact that I was being pegged because of if I was from New York City or if I was black or if I was or if it was R&B or hip hop. I was like, but I like Cyndi Lauper. Like, I want to write I want to write Phil Collins records. Like, what are you talking about? Like, 
put me in with a rock guy. And, and it was the few A&Rs and artists that took a chance on that that allowed me to prove that people, that those ghosts, that I think were probably in my head too, were wrong. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.